Hi, I'm Shelly. And I'm Maria. And you're listening to the Baby Pro Podcast, where we talk about everything and anything related to pregnancy and through the first year of your child's life. Every episode, we will discuss and interview experts on all the answers to the questions expectant and new parents want to know, such as creating the perfect birth plan, infant sleep, and tips and tricks for parenting a newborn. And welcome to the show. I'm really excited about this week's guest because the timing for this topic could not be more perfect with the overturn of Roe versus Wade. Our guest this week is Amber Matson. She is the owner of Intimate Connections Doula Services. She is a full spectrum doula, and she also has a deep passion for social and racial justice, as well as sexual, pelvic, and perinatal health. Her belief is that all people who are pregnant should be treated with the utmost respect, dignity, and autonomy. And she is also in addition to a birth doula and an abortion doula. So basically she helps families navigate the abortion process. And we are so excited to have her on today to talk to us about what an abortion doula is, how they can help families, and a little bit about the abortion process as well. And why having the support of an abortion doula or someone else that's knowledgeable in the abortion process is really important and helpful for families. Hi, Amber. Hello. How are you? I'm good. I'm so excited to do this with you because we have so many mutual clients that we work with. I know. It's so exciting. And they always have wonderful things to say about you. And same about you. I'm glad we finally get to like actually connect. (laughs) So, and the reason why we're here today is is because you are an abortion doula as well as a birth doula, correct? I am indeed. Can you tell us a little more about yourself and how you got into that? Yeah, totally. So I've been a doula officially for about four years for that official capacity. I used to volunteer at Planned Parenthood as an abortion escort. So I used to do a lot of abortion work before I even knew what a doula was. Um, And then I slowly but surely came into doula work. And now I've been doing this full time for four years. And I'm a full spectrum doula. So I do everything to do with the pelvis, essentially, is what I like to refer to it as. (laughs) Um, Everything that has to do with any bit of your reproductive health, I'm happy to doula. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, happy to support. Um, let's take a step back. What is an escort? Is that what you said? An escort, abortion escort? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So um, Planned Parenthood has like volunteer positions that help people essentially safely get to their appointments. So especially in like higher trafficked clinics, oftentimes there will be like protesters outside or, you know, people that don't want you to go in for your regular appointments. And so essentially we would go out to the car and help walk them inside to make them feel safe and make people feel safe going into their appointments. And when you did that, was that in Massachusetts or was that a different state? It was, it was in Massachusetts. Okay. You know, it's it's funny is I I found out about that volunteer position on TikTok because I found all these accounts of people who were volunteer escorts. And I was like, this is so cool. And I went to the Planned Parenthood website and like signed up to be a volunteer to do that. And they were like, we don't have any open volunteer positions in your state, but we'll let you know if it comes up, which, and I was thinking, I don't know if that's because of the state that I live in, like maybe there's aren't as many protesters or it's just that there's so many people who volunteer. 
I was going to say, I think they have an overabundance of volunteers is really what it is because it's also like, I was going to say like the primary Planned Parenthood location in in Massachusetts and in the Boston area is like right on like the youth campus. Mm -hmm. So it's in a pretty liberal area, but they do still have protesters on a regular basis. Like they still have people who like bus in and like hang out and it's horrendous. Yeah. Um, but I will say, I think they do have an abundance of volunteers usually. (laughs) Well, that's good. I'm happy that they have more than enough people volunteering. Right. I'm glad that they have more than enough, but I wish that we didn't need it at all. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's start off with what a birth doula is. I think most people who listen to this podcast would know, but let's just get like a refresher. Totally. I think like the textbook definition of birth doula is someone who like advocates, supports, and educates people around their prenatal birth and postnatal journey, so to speak, I guess. And I think for me in particular, the advocacy piece and the education piece are really important. I really believe in like helping my clients um, have the best up-to-date information and be the most educated that they can possibly be so that they can both advocate for themselves and they know when I need to step in and advocate for them as well. Yeah. It's like a little birth below spiel. (laughs) How do you use that skills to support someone through an, an abortion? I mean, it's the same skill set. It's a lot of like holding space and holding empathy for folks going through whatever they're going through in that moment. And so I think that dueling in general is like very much about allowing people to feel whatever they're feeling or go through whatever they're going through and be there to like witness them and hold them in that. And I know for a lot of the people that I've supported through abortion, a lot of the times it doesn't look much different than birth, right? There's the grief, there's the like joy, there's the like relief, there's a little bit of everything that like also comes with birth. It's a little Mm -hmm. bit of both. And typically how does a family seek you out? Like how do they get connected to you if they are seeking like abortion doula services? Yeah. I mean, with abortion doula services, I think it's mostly community and like word of mouth is like, here's a support that you might be able to use. Or if someone's struggling with making the decision whether or not to get an abortion, you know, being connected by friends, family, providers, even it's usually some community web that leads people to me. Mm -hmm. Because I'm sure you're, you find it important in your practice to give like unbiased information. Like these are the facts and to help them make an educated decision on their own. Absolutely. Um, I really lean pretty heavily on like evidence-based birth and making sure that people have like the most up-to-date information and unbiased support as possible. Everyone comes with bias and I try to keep that out of my work as much as I possibly can. Mm -hmm. On your website, I saw that you listed one of the things that you educate on is like the different abortion procedures. Um, Can Mm -hmm. you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So we have like medicated abortion, which is by pill and you can, you can also have surgical abortion. So those are like the two primary types of abortion. Medical abortion can be done like self-managed. So you can get the medications from your provider and then manage it at home, or you can manage it in office. Um, It's totally up to whoever is getting this abortion or having this abortion to do that. And surgical abortion is done in office, um, sometimes in hospital, depending on how far along you were in that pregnancy. Mm -hmm. Is there like a cutoff that determines on which procedure patients are eligible for? 
Yeah. So usually around 10 weeks is when the, the switch flips from a medicated abortion to a surgical abortion. And then in the state of Massachusetts, you can have a surgical abortion up until 24 weeks. Okay. And then after 24 weeks in Massachusetts, do they, what happens then? So it would be a surgical abortion if there was um, danger to the um, birthing parent or the baby it was like not viable. You can still have a surgical abortion, but it's just a little bit different and a little bit trickier to access. Okay, great. And so at, when you're working with a family, like what does the process look like once they've connected with you and you've decided to work together and you are going to support them through this process? How do you start that support? Do you meet with them? Um, do you have like a checklist that you go through of information that you think that they might need? What does it look like? Yeah, I mean, it's really individually based because some people come to me knowing like I already want to go whichever route with the different abortion options or like I've already met with my provider and this is the option that's really that I'm limited to. So usually it's just like working out those options together, making sure they were given all of the options by their provider and like presented with each of the options. And oftentimes we go through what recovery will look like for each of those, um, what my role, what they hope that my role will look like, what I hope my role will look like for them. And so that's, we usually spend like two hours on the phone or virtually just kind of getting to know each other and connecting a little bit more about like what's about to happen. And a lot of times it's just like holding space and emotionally processing some of this too. I always say I'm not a therapist, but therapy happens here. Right. It's like yeah. sometimes just healing happens here, despite, you know, not having that credential, but like providing space for people. I think that they often feel really safe. Um, and it's a really safe space to just kind of be not judged for whatever they're feeling. So usually we spend about two hours together and then on the day of, of their appointment or of their like pickup of their medications, I will either go with them during the pandemic. That was a little tricky. Um, oftentimes it was like one support person. Sometimes partners felt more comfortable, even with me going instead of them, if there was a partner involved, but if not, then it was just me and that person. And so yeah, and like supporting them through the procedure and then supporting for recovery, very similar to birth is like staying with them for a couple hours after, um, making sure that they were feeling okay and making sure that they had everything they needed, help setting up meal train for a day or two after and, you know, helping write emails to bosses <laughs> with whatever excuse to help them get out of work, you know just the little, like the little details of support that I think are really missing oftentimes from this level of care. Right. Because I don't think it's ever an easy decision to no. make. I mean, even if it's the right decision, it's still not an easy decision to make. And I think a lot of people don't realize that if they've never been in that situation, that it can be really difficult. And then if you're feeling like you're being yeah. judged or protested against, because you already had to make this like really hard decision that you don't really want to make. I can imagine that can be really hard. Absolutely. I mean, I think that's honestly the outside judgment is often what people are taking more time to process than their own decision. I think that it is a really, really incredibly hard decision for everyone I work with. It doesn't matter whether or not they're really sure about it or, you know, it, it's still really hard. It's still something that like people struggle to make that decision. And like the outside judgment often ends up being the part that like is way harder to process for people. Mm -hmm. Do you find, and you may not know this, if a 
client of yours is having the procedure done at like a clinic, do you feel like they're choosing to do it at the clinic because they're afraid of judgment from their provider or because the clinic has more resources or another reason? I think it's a little bit of both and also sometimes insurance. Mm -hmm. So it depends on insurance coverage, if there's insurance involved at all, if that person has access to insurance, if that person doesn't want to use insurance because they're still on their parents' like insurance plan, or they don't want their partner to find out about it, or if they're in a domestic violence situation where they really don't want their partner to find out about the abortion. There's a ton of different reasons why people go the clinic route over going to like their regular provider or the hospital. And I think that like oftentimes it's just more accessible for Mm -hmm. whatever reason. And after the, after you go home with the client and help them recover in whatever way that they need, you said you're there for about eight hours. Yeah, usually, usually there from like six to eight hours, depending on what they feel like they need. Some Mm -hmm. clients need a little bit more than that. Some need a little less but it usually averages up to about six to eight hours. And that's usually making them a meal, making sure they're comfortable, making sure they have heating pads and supplies and, you know, things to keep them comfortable. Mm-hmm. And then after that, do you have any more contact with them or follow up with them? Yeah, usually I'll follow up like once a day for a week or so. And that really depends on like how comfortable or how much follow up that person really wanted. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes it's just that in-person support that like someone to drive them to the clinic, the someone to be present that they're really seeking and not much more than that. But I do have clients that like really appreciate the follow up for a couple of weeks after. Mm -hmm. And what do you think is the hardest? I know it, it, it might be, you might not able be able to answer this question because every family is so different. Every situation is so different, but do you see like a common theme on what people birthing parents or pregnant parents, I mean, are struggling the most with, I know you mentioned like the outside judgment, but do you mm-hmm. see any other themes run through that? Like that this is one thing that everybody or almost everybody struggles with that you are able to help them kind of, um, losing my words tonight. Sorry, Amber. Navigate. I got <laughs> Thank you. you. Thank you. <laughs> Like, I know the word, Um, I know it. (laughs) I was like trying to think of the word and it took me to do, so I got to. (laughs) Um, I think that like the hardest thing for people to navigate is like navigating systems too. That's like Mm -hmm. a really through line is like, you know, navigating calling insurance, figuring out what abortion type is covered till what week, till where in your state, if your insurance is out of a different state and you live in Massachusetts, will they cover your 20 week abortion? Who knows? Mm -hmm. Right. And then it's calling, you know, whatever clinic is closest to you, figuring out what clinic is closest to you, what providers are actually safe providers, which ones are going to be like queer affirming, which ones are going to be like, you know, (laughs) tolerant providers. And Mm -hmm. so I think a lot of times it's navigating those big systems that can really, really be super, super hard and also be really helpful to have a doula by your side through because we know the systems. We work Mm -hmm. in those systems all the time and we understand them a little bit better than than most. And Mm -hmm. so I think that that's usually the other through line that I see through most most people's experience is like, how do I, where do I even start? Mm -hmm. Right, right. Because it's already such an emotional process to begin with. And you're already feeling overwhelmed with the decision that you've had to make. Yeah. So that and that's and so you're like dealing with the emotional capacity and right. having to navigate these huge systems that are next to impossible for the average person who's not navigating, like, you know, whatever else is happening in their lives. Mm-hmm. 
And that's with us in Massachusetts. And we live in mm-hmm. a, you know, quote unquote, good state. Like we have universal health care, quote unquote. You know, we have like Planned Parenthood and abortions. Yeah, still, we have access still legal. To yeah. Yeah. We have access to these things and we have access to them in much different ways and like than a lot of the country right now. And it's still really hard. Mm-hmm. You know, like I think that that's where like we in like the abortion community have been talking about this for years. Like we knew, I think that like most people who do abortion work in any way, shape or form knew this was coming. We knew that Roe versus Wade was being overturned. We saw this, like we saw this six years ago, not even, Mm -hmm. you know, not now. Right. I mean, like, so I think that there's been a lot of preparation in the community mm -hmm. of like, how to do self-managed abortions at home, right? How to do herbal abortions. And like, I never recommend doing that unless you're working with an herbalist. Don't just like find that on the internet and do it in yourself. But those are options. They're really viable and safe options if that's the only thing you have access to. Mm -hmm. And right now that is the case in a lot of places. And I know that Massachusetts can look good from the outside and can look like this kind of little bit of a safe haven. And it is in some ways, but for a lot of people, it's not like Mm -hmm. medical racism in Boston is some, one of the worst cities. Um, And so if you're like a black person trying to find access to an abortion, like it may not be easy. It might be just as hard, Mm -hmm. Um, you know? And I think that that's, that's another thing to talk about is that like, the marginalization of different identities within abortion work is even, is even more intense. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's not just in Worcester, uh, in Boston either. Like Worcester has a lot of racism. Yeah. I mean, everywhere basically, but you know, yeah. it's, it can be really bad. And it's actually one of the reasons why I left hospital work because I just, it was like banging my head against the wall. Yeah. Cause if you're one person trying to fight a system, it's, it's impossible. Mm-hmm. And I think that like, and I talk Boston just because that's where I generally work the most and have the most experience. So I think that that's where I have a lot of like my firsthand knowledge too, whenever I'm talking about this. Well, (laughs) Boston historically too, it has been a very racist city. I mean, that, that, I mean, that is some, and I find that some, a lot of people who live in Massachusetts um, are surprised by that. Of course, yeah, you know, mostly so. white people, of course, who don't have to like pay attention, yeah. but it's like, no, like no, Boston is historically racist and not I'm really bad at this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. So since in the current climate with Roe versus Wade overturned everywhere on social media, now you're saying people say like, Hey, if you need to go camping, I have a state that allows camping and you should come to my house and I'll take you camping. <laughs> And then I see other people saying you really shouldn't do that. There's already like networks set up that are safe. What is your opinion on all of those posts and what people are trying to do to help? It's endearing and well-meaning and not helpful at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, because I think that one, like the internet, whatever's watching us already figured out what camping means. Like, you know, that euphemism for abortion is is used really widely and not a secret. So it's not like you're actually protecting yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that there are, like there are networks set up already for accessing abortion out of state, if that's not something that your state offers. 
And this is something that abortion communities and abortion workers have been doing for a really, really long time. And so I think that one of the big messages was like, let's not try and reinvent the wheel in the middle of a crisis. Right. Uh, Like we already have this system. Let's use it because it works. Mm -hmm. Let's not try and like create a whole new system. And I think it was a lot led by like white women who weren't aware you know, who weren't aware that this already existed because the access was already taken from so many people. And so I think in the long run, like it was just another well-meaning, but not great (laughs) way to show your support. Right. Mm -hmm. And I know that a lot of the rebuttals to that have been donate to your local abortion fund. I mean, abortionfunds.org or .com. I don't remember what it is, but I'll tell you for sure is like the greatest resource you can go by region you can donate to specific local abortion funds and those are the ways the best ways to get direct access and community care to someone who needs it Mm -hmm. because those funds are going directly to people who actually need access to an abortion right and to and to people who can support them with that right Right, exactly. Like in within those networks, like those networks, I imagine they must have lawyers working for them. And yeah, so they're they have good coverage, like legal coverage, and things that if you're just randomly opening up your house to strangers with, although it's well intentioned, you don't know the providers that are safe, right? As, right. as like this random person that's just like, I'm going to help. You don't know which providers are safe. You don't know anything about the actual procedures unless you've been through it yourself or researched it. So. It might be well-meaning, but it, in the end, it's not going to be very helpful. Exactly. And I think that that's the other big part is, right, like if you had a friend that came up here to Massachusetts to have an abortion and like you're opening your home to someone and you have no protection and also your, you know, your friend has no protection. There's no, um, there's no like guidance or legal paperwork that's been documented and there's mm-hmm. no there's no safety net there in the way that like these big established networks already have that safety net. Mm -hmm. So I think using those is a way more wise way to continue to, you know, help and actually aid and abet as the new saying is. Right. Right. Cause like, let's say you open your house up and you want to help this person having an abortion and they're fleeing from a domestic violence situation mm-hmm. and the person they're fleeing from finds out that they're at your house and they show up at your house. Like you wouldn't know what to do. You wouldn't have that training in place. You wouldn't have that knowledge in place. And you could put yourself right. and the person you're trying to help in a very dangerous situation. Exactly. And with no framework, right? right. Like you don't, you don't have a lawyer that you can call. You don't have that safety net of like, or that connection to that state either. Like there's abortion workers that have been doing this forever. Like we have connections, we know each other. We know how to, you know, reach out to the people who need to be reached out to in situations where like, it is really pertinent and really information and like really important that we get a hold of a lawyer really quickly. Right. In those domestic violence situations where we can have protection and can have protection for me and for that client. And if you're just having a friend over from another state, like that's not, it's not safe for anybody. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause what if there's a complication after the procedure and right. they start to, I don't know, 
hemorrhage on your couch or something? Like, what are you going to do? Do you know what to do? Do you know what to do? Do you know what it looks like when someone hemorrhages? Do you know like, do you know how much bleeding after an abortion is normal? Right. Do you know what that looks like? Do you know when you need to call the provider to Mm -hmm. be like, we need assistance or we need to come back into the office? Or do you know when you need to call 911? Right. Mm -hmm. Like, do you know when that is? And like, do you know where your closest hospital is? Do you know where your closest abortion clinic is? Do you know where your safest closest abortion clinic is? Like, Mm -hmm. because there's so many resources out there and they're really hard to find. And they're also really hard to find the safe ones. Right. And the ones that are like safest for that person you're working with, whether they're a queer person, a fat person, a black person, whatever marginalized identity they hold, that's also a really important factor. Yes. I mean, yep. Amazing. You said it perfectly. Yep. And also the fact that there's a lot of resources out there that are marked, they market themselves as like pregnancy crisis centers, right? Where they Mm -hmm. market themselves as we're here to support you in whatever decision you make, but really they're there to push you towards one direction over another. Exactly. And I've, I mean, I've seen so many of those like fake, um, like decision hotlines, right. Mm -hmm. That are really just like you call and they quote Bible verses at you. Yeah. Like they exist. And that's really scary. Cause like, if you're just going to visit your friend and they're trying to make that decision and they're handing out the wrong numbers, like you could be really leading someone down a really dangerous and painful path. Mm -hmm. And like, that's not fair for you. That's not fair for them. And so it's one of those moments where it's like, yes, you can like trust your community and go towards your community, but trust the birth workers and the abortion workers that have been doing this forever. Right. Because it's really important that people rely on the people that are already doing this and not reinvent Mm -hmm. the wheel. And there's so many people that even came before me, right? In mass, (laughs) I've only been doing it for four years. And like, there's so much, there's so much already established that I trust and rely on before I jump to like trying to reinvent my own thing. Mm -hmm. Because I think that that's, a lot of times what particularly like white folks will try to do, right. Is we try and reinvent a thing that's already been invented for many, many years and Mm -hmm. cared for and community built and driven and, you know. Right. It's a little, it's, it just strikes me as um, disrespectful towards them because the amount of training and the knowledge that they have gathered over the years and the hard work that they've put in to have that knowledge and that training and you know, just thinking that you can throw up a Facebook post and all of a sudden be qualified to handle that situation. It's the same. And I mean, it's the same in every field, right? It's the same right. in lactation. There are tons of people out there like, well, I breast four kids. I can help you with breastfeeding. And it's like, that's not, that's not, that's not, not that works. <laughs> like, really? Right. And also like, and the same goes for like, I've had an abortion. I can support you. Well, what type of abortion did you have? Where did you have it? Did you have insurance coverage where you could like, were you safe with your partner? Did your partner Mm -hmm. even know, did your parents support you? Like, Mm -hmm. you know, what factors led that drive for you? And like, I do think that people who've had abortions are great supports for people who are also seeking abortions because like that network of community is really important. But I don't think that that means that they're a trained abortion doula, right? That doesn't mean that they're ready to support and be there for whatever complications arise, if anything arises, or the nuances of like navigating not having insurance or navigating, you know, 
not wanting to use insurance in a state that requires insurance, mm-hmm. especially in mass, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, it's those little nuanced things that people just don't really think about and jump to. And it is disrespectful. Like, I, I think you're really clear about saying that. Like, I think for people just to jump on their Facebook and be like, I would help you camp is not great. Like, it's not actually helpful. I mean, it's great that you're supportive and want to support your friends and want to support people and want to support people who don't have access to this anymore. But instead of posting, go donate a couple dollars to an abortion fund. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Or if you know someone who is trying to decide whether to have an abortion, connect them with someone like you. Right. Connect them with find that resource. Yeah. Find that resource in your community, you know, find those herbalists, find those birth workers, find those abortion doulas, find them because they exist. They exist in every right. community. And someone like you is like getting the foot in the door, right? So if I knew someone that was deciding whether to get an abortion or not, and they're asking me questions like, what should I do whenever? I don't know. I, and I'm, I'm to be honest, not in any position to help someone make that decision. I can't even decide what I'm going to wear in the morning. Right. So, but if I like, I know about you and I say, you should call Amber because she knows all the resources. So by connecting with you, that gets them into the door where they now have options and a knowledgeable person to guide them from it versus like, okay, come camp out on my couch. Now what? I don't know. Let's just look in the phone book. Yeah, exactly. And I think that that's so many of the ways that like doulas work in the community too. Like I consider myself a community-based doula in that like I work with the communities that I serve, right? Like Mm -hmm. I exist with them in the community and I also serve them. And I think that like, even if you reach out to a birth doula, right? Who may not do abortion support or doesn't know how to do that they likely can connect you to someone who can. Mm -hmm. And so like those through lines too, connecting people who might be just one step closer than you are to those support networks, all the better. Mm -hmm. And we're out here. You can find us. I swear. Right. (laughs) Right. And I know that you said that you're not a therapist, but it is important to know how to protect that space. And if you, if I think as a person going, who had an abortion, if you go in thinking, I know how to do this because it happened to me, I went through it. So I can support my friend through it, but you processed your abortion very, you might've processed it very differently than how your friend is going to. And if you bump up against that difference, how is it going to help your friend? First of all, Mm -hmm. and how is it going to make you feel? Yeah. It could trigger you. It could bring up a whole bunch of stuff for you. Right. Like if you were like completely devastated by your abortion and your friend is kind of like, not or not yeah. in the same way. Are you gonna feel like something was wrong with your reaction to your, you know what I mean, to your abortion? Like, or are you gonna oh, think your I... friend's wrong, right? Right. And the opposite reaction of like, why aren't you sad? What's wrong right. with you? And like, right, it can be so incredibly like triggering for somebody to be supported by someone who isn't reacting the same way, or mm-hmm. like. And I think that that's something that we talk about in like the birth work world all the time is like needing mm-hmm. to like make sure that your own stuff isn't coming at the door. In. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Is left, I remember right? from my doula days. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You got to leave yeah. your own stuff at the door. Like uh, before I walk into any appointment, whether it's a prenatal visit or an abortion support or a birth, any of the things like I take a couple minutes in my car to just like 
breathe and ground myself because what energy I'm bringing into that space matters. Mm -hmm. And like someone may not know that, right? Like someone who doesn't have doula training, someone who doesn't have knowledge around pregnancy and infant loss or someone who doesn't have abortion training isn't going to necessarily bring that like softness that a lot of us doulas have learned and crafted and like really worked with because we've dealt with our stuff. And even if we haven't dealt with it, we know how to leave it outside. Mm -hmm. And if we are triggered, like we know also know how to take space when something's too much for us. We know how to communicate that in a way that's not going to be upsetting for our clients or for us. Yeah. And we also have like our own connections to help us process. I mean, as a doula, how many times have we called up another doula and been like, I really just need to process this birth I was at like with four you. Times I'm, today. <laughs> I'm sorry, it's 2 a.m. and I'm driving. And even as a lactation consultant, I have left homes and called up colleagues and been like, I know it's late, but you will not just believe what just happened. And I just need to talk about it with some. And how many of us as doulas, I think every doula has been to at least one birth where if that had been their personal birth experience, they would have been horrified and yeah. devastated, but their client and the family is so happy Absolutely. with how, and that's all that matters, right? It's all you that matters. Can't, you can't bring that into the birth space with you. Like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that just happened. Why aren't you upset when yeah. they're very happy with what's happening? So it, and that's trickier than what it sounds like to process that and keep your own feelings at bay and your own biases at bay. That's, it's really hard especially if you don't have any experience doing it. It's really incredibly hard without the experience of doing it. And I think without the training, right? Like, I Mm -hmm. think it is really important in this moment that like, especially like abortion doulas are trained in grief and loss and Mm -hmm. are trained in like, even, I mean, I suggest it for every birth doula in the whole wide world is to go take a pale class, the pregnancy and infant loss, because I think it's the chance that you won't encounter it is slim mm-hmm. <laughs> at some point. Right. Yeah. And being able to navigate that well with a client really depends on like how prepared you are, um, how prepared you are to show up for that. And I, it doesn't even matter how many times you do it. It's still scary as heck that grief because everyone holds grief differently. Right. Mm-hmm. Is like grief resonates so different for everyone and understanding that is like at the cornerstone of understanding like abortion work mm-hmm. too, right? Is that abortion work is grief work in a way because no matter what, like this is a loss and so many people don't process it that way and some people do, right? And so it just depends on who you're working with in that moment, but it's important that you have that lens to be able to support someone. Mm-hmm. Right. And I remember, and this is, uh, you know, miscarriage, not abortion, but yeah. I remember when I had my pregnancy loss and I had a friend who was a doula because I was a doula at the time. And I just remember she just came over and just sat at my kitchen table and she was so quiet because she knew that that's what I needed. And then she just ended up like grabbing my hand, not grabbing, but holding my hand and giving me like a hand massage. while we just sat and said nothing. (laughs) I just remember like, that was so supportive. And that's sometimes exactly what it looks like, right? Mm. It's sometimes like, it's just someone to witness and hold you and be in that space and like be present with you. Because if you did need to say something, if you did need to cry, if you did need like, you know, you have that person, someone's already there for you and holding that. And I think that's so much of abortion work too, right? Is just like, 
sitting with someone after they've had an abortion and letting them feel whatever they want, turning on their favorite comfort shows and knowing what they are. And like, Mm -hmm. you know, just, just being in that, yes, we're distracting, but also I'm here if you want to talk space, like is so incredibly important. And like, I can't stress the benefit of just having somebody being with you, how like important that is and how beneficial that is for someone's like long-term recovery. Right. And then to be with you, like in the right way, in the way that you need it to be. Exactly. Yeah. So, and you're right. Like everybody knows what camping means. It it, it reminds me of Harry Potter where everyone refuses to say Lord Voldemort and you're like, right. Finally, Harry Potter is like, Everybody knows what you're talking about. Everyone knows what this means. (laughs) It's kind of stupid that we're doing this. Yeah. And it's like, it's not very like Harry Potter-esque. It's like not that the above us don't know what camping means, right? Mm -hmm. Like lawmakers and lawyers and people who, you know, think that the overturning of Roe v. Wade was great. Like those people know what camping means at this point. Like it's, Mm -hmm. it's too obvious and it's too present and it's too everywhere that like, of course we know what it means. It's not Mm -hmm. secret. It's not the tool you thought it was going to be. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Do you get a lot of clients for abortion services? I mean, I get one every here and there. I would say like on average, like once every six months, maybe two Mm -hmm. or three a year at most. Um, I don't get a ton, but when I do, I, I always take them no matter what, as long as I'm available. And if it's mm-hmm. not me, then I refer them right to somebody else. And I noticed on your website, you offer like a sliding scale. Yeah. So I do a pay what you can. Um, so like $0 to like 200 mm-hmm. is usually mm-hmm. what I end up getting paid is somewhere in that ballpark. Oftentimes it's like family or friends that like donate to just like the driving costs really of it. I don't expect to be paid at all for abortion support um, because it's not something that I wouldn't do, right? I wouldn't do for a friend. (laughs) And I think that abortion is already so hard to access and I don't want to be another barrier. I love that. Yeah. Do you think most abortion doulas operate? I know you cannot speak for all abortion doulas, <laughs> but in your experience, do you feel like they, they that's common in the practice? Is I to, do. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think that a lot of doulas that offer abortion support do it on a sliding scale or free mm-hmm. because all, all of us, really, I, I can speak for all of us, I think in this is that we want to try and make abortion more accessible than it already is. And if our cost or fee is a barrier, just like flick it away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like it's right. not, it doesn't exist then mm-hmm. because this support should be available to anyone who wants it or needs it. Right. And they shouldn't, and people who need an abortion or want an abortion shouldn't have to work with someone for support that is going to want to know why and gonna, do you know what I mean? Like, it doesn't matter why. It doesn't, doesn't matter, matter why. why. But no. some people who are like, well, I support abortion if. It's in XYZ cases. Yes. Yeah. And it's like, it's not, it's not that black and white. Um, and if someone is trying to seek out an abortion, they've are, it's already such a painful decision by asking them, like, why are you, why are you doing this? It's just free traumatizing them basically Yeah. because you're asking them to explain a decision that they've already put a lot of thought and, and emotion into Absolutely. and shouldn't have to explain to anybody. No. And I, I mean, if you're coming across an abortion doula that has conditions for their abortion support, run, 
Thank like, you. Yeah. Just go the other direction. Like if red that's flag. something that they list on their website, like take that red flag and run with it. Mm-hmm. Find a different doula because the chances that they're going to unbiasedly support you is pretty much zero. Mm-hmm. I don't right. foresee that going well for anyone. <laughs> right. Yeah. Can you touch briefly uh, a few times you mentioned like safe provider, a safe provider. Can you touch briefly on what you meant? I mean, I know what you meant by that, but for our yeah. listeners, can you touch totally. briefly on what you meant by that? Totally. I mean, I think that when I talk about safe providers, I talk about providers who are practicing in an evidence-based lens, providers that are, you know, culturally competent and supportive, meaning they support like the LGBTQ community. Well, I just stumbled all, all my letters, but the LGBTQ plus community. And like supporting BIPOC folks um, and like whether or not they're kind of on the up and up with supporting um, abortion. So like they are available to give options, right? Whether it's medicated or um, surgical abortion, they are able to like give you those different options and talk through them. So whenever I talk about safe providers, that's usually like the kind of list that I check through. Um, when I talk to providers, because I work with a lot of marginalized communities, especially within the queer community, because I work with a lot of my own community, right? (laughs) And um, being a member of the queer community, that's really important to me that providers are, you know, trans inclusive and um, use inclusive language in their websites or you know, have signage that like represents my clients and, um, you know, pronoun safety and things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Which again is a benefit of your training and your knowledge and your background and your expertise, which that you don't necessarily have just because you have a friend that right. you know, wants an abortion. I wonder if you're like me where you on the local Facebook groups, like mm-hmm. doula and lactation consulting groups, if you keep a running list of who outs themselves as an oh, unsafe provider in the comments of certain posts. Of course I do. <laughs> I'm like, okay, never refer to that person. Never, never refer, refer to that, to that person. person. Yeah, I call it my I call it my blacklist. It's actually in this notebook. It's in my <laughs> little black notebook. <laughs> um, it's like in the back of this notebook that I've had like forever. Um, and I always like take notes for clients in there, but I've had like three pages in the back. That's just like lists of providers and doulas and lactations and, you know, people that like, I would never refer to in a million years. <laughs> Cause they've, they've shown themselves to be unsafe. Exactly. And if I'm not sure, I will usually call like a colleague of mine and be like, is this person on your blacklist? Cause <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I don't know, but you're on social media more than I am. So maybe you've seen something that they've posted. I call my friends to vet people all the time. <laughs> And especially people who've been in this work longer, right? Or mm-hmm. have different identities than me, right? Like I'm a queer person, but like that means I'm also a white person. So like maybe I'll go to like one of my favorite friend BIPOC doulas and be like, have you found this provider to also be affirming, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. you know, which boxes do we check off? And I kind of have a like little running tally next to my blacklist and it says like queer, like fat and like BIPOC and I'll like check it off if it's a no. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, So like, and some providers are yes for one of those. And, you know, sometimes that's the best we get and it sucks, but it kind of is the way that the climate is in Mm -hmm. healthcare right now. Right. Right. It's a shame. We could do so much better. We just, Mm -hmm. our government just just doesn't want to do so much better. (laughs) 
Um, so anything else you'd like to add to families? Okay. I think we covered a lot. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Who, who, who are your favorite? I know you mentioned one, uh, any other like resources to donate to like networks that are your favorite that, you know, support like safe providers and things like that. Yeah. So, I mean, abortion funds, um, and there's always like direct funding towards abortions too. Um, so if someone's ever seeking an abortion, you can do a direct fund to them. I, Planned Parenthood of Boston and Southeastern Mass are both incredible. Planned Parenthood of the Southeastern Mass has like reached out a couple of times to the doula community too, to try and see what we can do to get more access down here. Cause there isn't really anything for like South Shore and the islands um, and the Cape and the islands. So that's a really big access issue, even in Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. So I know that those are always great resources um, and places to donate and support too. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for t- coming in tonight. Short notice again, <laughs> and like talking to us about it. I knew you would be perfect for this. And I really, really appreciate all the work that you're doing. It's so important. Mm-hmm. And I'm thank so you. glad that there are people like you out there helping these people navigate mm-hmm. this space and make these hard decisions. Me too. I'm incredibly grateful for the people who came before me and the people who continue to do this work because it's becoming ever more important again. Mm-hmm. So especially I'm, now, especially now. <laughs> right, thank you so much. You're so welcome. Thank you. Thank you for joining us this week on the Baby Pro Podcast. Make sure to visit our website, ShellyTaftIBCLC.com, where you can check out more options for support through pregnancy and beyond, including the Baby Pro Bistro, our parenting community. You can also follow us on social media at ShellyTaftIBCLC on Instagram. If you love the show, please leave us a rating or review on iTunes to help our episodes reach more parents like you. Thanks for listening. Bye.